Chapter One of Olga Romanov. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter One The Surrender of the World Throne. A hundred years had passed since Natas, the master of the terror, had given into the hands of Richard Arnold his charge to the future generations of the Aryans, as the descendants of the terrorists who had colonized the mountain-walled valley of Aria in Central Africa were now called, since the man who had planned and accomplished the greatest revolution in the history of the world had given his last blessing to his companions in arms and their children, and had turned his face to the wall and died. It was midday on the 8th of December, 2030, and the rulers of all the civilized states of the world were gathered together in St. Paul's Cathedral to receive from the hands of a descendant of Natas in the fourth generation the restoration of the right of independent national rule which, on the same spot, a hundred and twenty-five years before, had been taken from the sovereigns of Europe and vested in the Supreme Council of the Anglo-Saxon Federation. The period of tutelage had passed. Under the wise and firm rule of the Council and the domination of the Anglo-Saxon race, the Golden Age had seemed to return to the world. For a hundred and twenty-five years there had been peace on earth, broken only by the outbreak and speedy suppression of a few tribal wars among the more savage races of Africa and Malaysia. Now the descendants of those who had been victors and vanquished in the World War of 1904 had met to give back and assume the freedom and the responsibility of national independence. The vast cathedral was thronged as it had been on the momentous day when Natas had pronounced his judgment on the last of the tyrants of Russia and ended the old order of things in Europe. But it was now filled by a very different assembly to that which had stood within its walls on the morrow of Armageddon. Then the stress and horror of a mighty conflict had set its stamp on every face. Hate had looked out of eyes in which the tears were scarcely dry, and hungered fiercely for the blood of the oppressor. The clash of arms, the stern command, and the pitiless words of doom had sounded them in years which but a few hours before had listened to the roar of artillery and the thunder of battle. That had been the dawn of the morrow of strife. This was the zenith of the noon of peace. Now, in all the vast assembly, no hand held a weapon. No face was there showing a sign of sorrow, fear, or anger, and in no heart, save only two among the thousands, was there a thought of hate or bitterness. For three days past, the festival of deliverance had been celebrated all over the civilized world, and now, in the centre of the city, which had come to be the capital, not only of the vast domains of Anglo-Saxondom, but of the whole world. A solemn act of renunciation was to be performed, upon the issues of which 
the fate of all humanity would hang. For the members of the Supreme Council had come through the skies from their seat of empire in area to abdicate the world throne in obedience to the command of the dead master from whom their ancestors had derived it. At a table, drawn across the front of the chancel, sat the President and the twelve men who with him had up to this hour shared the empire of the human race. Below the steps, on the floor of the cathedral, sat in a wide semicircle the rulers of the kingdoms and republics of the earth, assembled to hear the last word of their overlords and to receive from them the power and responsibility of maintaining or forfeiting, as the event should prove, the blessings which had multiplied under the sovereignty of the Aryans. The President of the Council was the direct descendant not only of Alan Tremaine, its first President, but also of Richard Arnold and Natasha, for their oldest son, born in the first year of the peace, had married the only daughter of Tremaine, and their first-born son had been his father's father. Although the average physique of civilised man had immensely improved under the new order of things, the Aryans, descendants of the pick of the nations of Europe, were as far superior to the rest of the assembly as the latter would have been to the men and women of the nineteenth century. But even among the members of the council, the splendid stature and regal dignity of Alan Arnold, the president, stamped him as a born ruler of men whose title rested upon something higher than elections or inheritance. At the last stroke of twelve, the President rose in his place and in the midst of an almost breathless silence read the message of Natas to the great congregation. This done, he laid the parchment down on the table and beginning from the outbreak of the World War rapidly and lucidly sketched out the vast and beneficent changes in the government of society that its issues had made possible. He traced the marvellous development of the new civilization, which in four generations had raised men from a state of half-barbarous strife and brutality to one of universal peace and prosperity, from inhuman and unsparing competition to friendly cooperation in public and generous rivalry in private concerns from horrible contrasts of wealth and misery to a social state in which the removal of all unnatural disabilities in the race of life had made them impossible. He showed how, in the evil times, which, as all men hoped, had been left behind forever, the strong and the unscrupulous ruthlessly oppressed the weak and swindled the honest and the straightforward. Now dishonesty was dishonourable in fact as well as in name. The game of life was played fairly, and its prizes fell to all who could win them, by native genius or earnest endeavour. There were no inequalities, save those which nature herself had imposed upon all men from the beginning of time. There were no tyrants and no slaves. That which a man's labour or hand or brain had won was his, and no man might take toll of it. All useful work was held in honour, and there was no other road to fame or fortune 
save that of profitable service to humanity this said the president in conclusion is the splendid heritage that we of the supreme council which is now to cease to exist as such have received from our forefathers who won it for us and for you on the field of the world's armageddon we have preserved their traditions intact and obeyed their commands to the letter and now the hour has come for us in obedience to the last of those commands to resign our authority and to hand over the heritage to you the rulers of the civilized world to hold in trust for the peoples over whom you have been appointed to reign when i have done speaking i shall no longer be president of the senate which for a hundred and twenty-five years has ruled the planet from pole to pole and east to west you and your parliaments are henceforth free to rule as you will we shall take no further part in the control of human affairs outside our domain saving only in one concern in the days when our command was established the only possible basis of all rule was force and our supremacy was based on the force that we could bring to bear upon those who might have ventured to oppose us or revolted against our rule we commanded and we still command the air and i should not be doing my duty either to my own people or to you if i did not tell you that the aryans not as the world rulers that they have been but as the citizens of an independent state mean to keep that power in their own hands at all costs the empire of earth and sea saving only the valley of area is yours to do with as you will the empire of the air is ours the heritage that we have received from the genius of that ancestor of mine who first conquered it that we have not used it in the past to oppress you is the most perfect guarantee that we shall not do so in the future but let all the nations of the earth clearly understand that we shall accept any attempt to dispute it with us as a declaration of war upon us and that those who make that attempt will either have to exterminate us or be exterminated themselves this is not a threat but a solemn warning and the responsibility of once more bringing the curse of war and all its attendant desolation upon the earth will lie heavily upon those who neglect it a few more needful words and i have done the message of the master which i have read to you contains a prophecy as to the fulfilment of which neither i nor any man here may speak with certainty it may be that he with clearer eyes than ours saw some tremendous catastrophe impending over the world a catastrophe which no human means could avert and beneath which human strength and genius could only bow with resignation by what spirit he was inspired when he uttered the prophecy it is not for us to say but before you put it aside as an old man's dream 
let me ask you to remember that he who uttered it was a man who was able to plan the destruction of one civilization and to prepare the way for another and a better. Such a man, standing midway between the twin mysteries of life and death, might well see that which is hidden from our grosser sight, but whether the prophecy itself shall prove true or false, it shall be well for you and for your children's children if you and they shall receive the lesson that it teaches as true. If in the days that are to come the world shall be overwhelmed with a desolation that none shall escape, will it not be better that the end shall come and find men doing good rather than evil? As you now set the peoples whom you govern in the right or the wrong path, so shall they walk. This is the lesson of all the generations that have gone before us, and it shall also be true of those that are to come after us. As the seed is, so is the harvest. Therefore see to it that you, who are now the free rulers of the nations, so discharge the awful trust and responsibility which is thus laid upon you, that your children's children shall not, perhaps in the hour of humanity's last agony, Rise up and curse your memory rather than bless it. I have spoken. End of chapter 1